Welcome to Game 6 for Craig Island Rugby. Connacht taking on Edinburgh on a beautiful evening here in the sports ground. Very, very few numbers here tonight, really, when you consider. Um, but I suppose there's a reason for that, and that's because we've got a, a World Cup final just finished maybe 45 minutes ago. I've got a copy Kiwi here behind, beside me, Mr Andrew Flowers. Well, good start to the evening anyway, so let's hope it keeps on getting better from here on in. Indeed, indeed. William forgot his ticket, which is why he's not with me at the moment. But uh, hopefully he'll be here when we get to the 20-minute mark. We'll chat later. Okay, Andrew, it's just come up to 20 minutes gone. Uh, Connacht are winning eight points to three. It's been um, a good start. Yeah, they're very much on top. They're uh, executing really well, I think, and it was a very beautiful uh, set-piece move that got O'Halloran in for the try in the end, but a break by Matt Healy in the centres there that uh, set them up. The crowd was even chanting all blacks because it was so good there. <laughs> there was a bit of that, all right. Well, it's looking good so far, and hopefully we'll, uh, we're on the attack and we'll get something out of this. And we'll talk again at halftime. Okay, Andrew, it's eight six at half time. It's it's a strange game with a strange atmosphere. It is. Uh, it's a bit like the crowd have watched the World Cup final and they're expecting to see the same thing at the sports ground here. And what's happening is uh, Connacht occasionally are showing that sort of play, but uh, there's a restlessness about the about the ground at the moment. I think. Yeah, it's a bit strange. I think that Edinburgh are starting to get on top in the in the set pieces and it's stopping us from getting any momentum. It's um, better work to be done at half time. Yeah, our execution is obviously not particularly good and that's what's letting us down a lot of the time as well yeah well hopefully we'll have a bit more in the second half and maybe William will join us (laughs) okay we're just on 60 minutes it's 14 points to 9 for Connacht and William's joined us yeah, the, the excitement has dragged me along. Uh, second half, I did arrive 20 minutes into the first half, and it was a dreadful 20 minutes. This is a little better. Uh, Connacht are sort of keeping these guys in the game. We're failing to deal with kickoffs and a lot of errors. And we've picked up a, a penalty at the never-ending scrums. Uh, Leighton Hodge is very lenient at these scrums, the, the amount of time that it's taken to get them off. Um, but we're, we're still under a lot of pressure here. Yeah, you'd like to think we can lift it here and, and kick on and you know secure this win. We'll talk again at full time.
okay, William? I just recorded that last minute and a half or so because it was getting a bit desperate there. Well, we won 14-9, but it was pretty close at the end. Yeah, it got a little bit messy there. It's been a, it's been a stop-start start of game. Uh, it's always a physical, virtually a punch-up against Edinburgh, and that no different at all this evening. Maybe the sort of game a season or two ago we would have lost somehow, but we've... We've won it. It's a great win, and we're back up to second. And we'll take that. We will indeed. game section of Craggy Island Rugby introduced brilliantly already by Alan and you know <laughs> yeah right no it's badly introduced as I haven't heard it I don't know I know it took three attempts because this loudspeakers so kept coming in can I ignore the right first the two when I'm editing and no, just I actually, it was, they were so bad I actually deleted them myself oh wow could be, could be uh, gold uh, William welcome along uh, thank you very much I slightly late arrival but I did get here in the end what were you doing I left my ticket at home. Oh, yeah. So there, was, there was something on telly around him, was there? There was another game on. There seemed yeah. to be a... Something on the press room when I went in. There seemed to be a bit of interest in it, but... Um, Andrew Flaus is here, uh, back on the podcast. He's from New Zealand. Was, was there a game on involving New Zealand today? Uh, I, it was difficult enough to watch because I couldn't even get inside the ground here to, <laughs> to see it. <laughs> yes, it's only a rugby stadium. It's only a rugby stadium, after all. We've given Andrew a right to rant from the outset of this week's podcast. Uh, well, uh, on behalf of all of us, and it always feels weird when you're congratulating someone from a country for winning a World Cup, as but you know, from you know, as in, but it, it, it's right when it's the World Cup final. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Robert. To everyone in New Zealand. We all love you, even though we slag off Richie McCaw and say you're kind of like chokers. No more. We can say none of that anymore. Well, well we can still slag off Richie McCaw, surely. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah that's fine. But uh, what do we? Well, I, I think it's supposed to be a, a Dan Carter party this time, isn't it? Uh, Richie McCaw hasn't finished yet. He's just said that uh, this is not the time to quit yet. Oh, wow. Yeah. More of Richie McCaw. Great. Anyways, <laughs> Dave Finn, welcome along. Good afternoon. It's been a very good day's worth of rugby. Two games live, one game on, one game watched in a nice little clubhouse out in Glenina, and one game watched in the press box. Um, so, yeah, an all around good day. And uh, Charleston East Junior B champions as well. So, it's been a full on great day of sport. Uh, <laughs> we've just alienated the Swinford GA listeners on this podcast. But, anyways, that's fine. Hard luck to the Swinford GA team. You were, <laughs> you were harshly treated by, I don't know, by, <laughs> by some officials somewhere. <laughs> the umpire. Uh, William, Connacht have won. There's, ooh, I nearly said sixth. Is it sixth? It's fifth. Fifth game in six attempts. That's pretty good. Yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't a classic. It was a uh, very mundane first half, I think. Error strewn. Uh, our friend Mr Hodges, who's a very, very irritating referee, and he let the scrums just go on and on and on whatever, without ever actually making a decision or doing anything. He just let the players sort of hang around for a bit and then have a go at setting up, and it really crawled along. Second half was a little bit better. Uh, you'll move on and I I think the one side will be very disappointed actually are Edinburgh who seemed very upset at the end of it Yeah I think Mr Hodges did a great job of bringing the crowd into the game with his non-decisions of a couple of pretty brutal uh, attempts at, at decapitating I, our own players by the Edinburgh players yeah, That looked bad from way over on the far side how bad was it? It just seemed to be like reckless Oh the, the, the second row yeah. smashing himself into Tyrion was just yeah. phenomenally bad and how the linesman didn't see anything, I don't know. But it was—it really got the crowd going and really got us into the game. So we can thank him for that. 
lads, it's uh, it's still a good start to the season without actually playing well. Do you know, I have this theory, Dave, that we're probably better off not being top because there'd nearly be too much good stuff written about us and we're probably better off coming under the radar a little bit. You know, that Glasgow defeat keeps our feet on the ground. We haven't played brilliantly in every game, but it's everything we wanted for from this start of the season in points. Well, let's look to the, let's do the compare and contrast last year. Like last year, in a direct comparison in these six games, we are 12, 12 points, points yeah. better off. In a direct comparison to the hype, there is no hype in comparison to last year. At no point, people said we did hear a, a sort of rather risable chant of "We are top of the league" last last week when because after the Zebra game, because everybody was there going, "I can't believe I just sat through the second half of the Zebra game." It's very low key, and that's fantastic. I think it's low key at the Scarlets. I think the Scarlets should be praised for being top of the table, six wins out of six. But I think it's, there is a realism as well that because most of the rugby world is either a watching things that are happening across in England. Or the ones that have been watching are kind of focusing on, well, do we expect the world order to go back to normal once the players come back? It's allowed teams like Clinetley, like ourselves, and up until two weeks ago, Edinburgh, to get in under the radar. We now are in a position where, I said it on Monday, and I'll say it again, I think we should be thinking about finishing minimum top four, possibly even in a wildest years. We should be aiming to win the title because it guarantees us top four or top six. And I think it's, it's good because there's no hype. There's no over sense of, yeah, aren't we fantastic? There's just a general sense of, we're not playing very well, lads, but God, feel the points. Feel the points, Andrew. <laughs> Can I say something controversial here, then, Rob? Yeah. Um, Richie McCall is not... Yeah, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Richie McCall. He never gave away about... Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, it was sort of like a warm-down match, wasn't it? In the sense that we started off with at the level of uh, the... World Cup final. Uh, there was a beautiful set play there. Oh, maybe, right. maybe you missed it, William. <laughs> yes, I'm, uh, yes I, I did hear Rob uh, describe it, and he got uh, so excited his levels cut out, and it actually was a minute of silence, or mo- a moment of silence on the air as the box overloaded. It's, it's hard to believe Rob got overexcited. I was but... in full control. What? <laughs> well, you might you might have been in control, but the ISDN box or someone didn't like it, and you just cut it cut out. Oh. No, did you at least know it was a try? Did you? Yes. Oh, good. Well, just <laughs> bare minimum was covered. Thanks, thanks, William. We'll see how you get on in Russia in a few weeks, and I'll tell you, we'll have a critique. Anyways, yeah, point was, carry on. But the point was that by the end of this match, we were hanging on by our fingernails, hoping that Connacht wasn't going to screw up and concede a couple of penalties or uh, miss a couple of tackles and end up uh, losing the match with a try under the posts. Uh, <laughs> We're, Watch we're, out. we're, we're getting gonna... up around us. Hang on a second. Just hang on to your beard there, Dave. He's brought some Guinness with him, and it's not going to be thrown out. So that's fine. That's uh, very, very important. Guinness provided by the uh, sponsors of this champ- competition, the Guinness Pro 12. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. Sorry, Andrew, Andrew oh. to, can you finish your train of thought? The train of thought was just that it, was, it, it started off so well, but it ended up uh, so like normal. So true. Well, I think if I think it was actually it's weird because it, half an hour before the game, you're thinking, why this is the? I mean, I've seen a more passionate build-up to some. Do you remember the game we played against Germany? There was a more passionate build-up to that game, and everybody's gone. We're showing up to see. My God, Germans have a rugby team. It, there was no. It was very flat because it was very much after the Lord Mayor's show. We just seen probably the pinnacle of world rugby, and then we're coming to. And again, William has been raising this point for the last six months about why was this game being played at this time. Well, the game has been played at this time. The atmosphere was flat until Mr. Hodges got involved. The play was good for the try, but it was it was just flat. And I think it was just a general air of, well, we're playing this game, but really, why are we? But it's still really nice to sit back, obviously, and, and not not wanting to completely steal your thunder, Dave, because your point is right, but it's so nice to sit back and just think where we stand at the table and start with that. 
Yeah, at the start of the season, you would have looked at the fixture list and said, by the by the time the World Cup finished, we would want to be in the top four, and we are. So you know, it's excellent. It, it, Williams is kind of since Munster and Cardiff off to the European rounds. Bearing in mind, we have to be Treviso otherwise as a big setback. But they're going to be the games and the, that'll define this con- this early stage of this Connacht team where they really stand for the season ahead. Well, I'm afraid I don't give us any hope of winning in Soman Park because we tend not to. Uh, so the Cardiff away game, they had a very bad result today away to Zebra, which is going to send shockwaves through them. They're, they, they're, they're already starting to get into a complete muddle again. Yeah. Uh, and that's a game for us. Um, and then it, then it gets progressively harder. It certainly does. Hey, Pat Lamb spoke to all of us journalists in this crew after the game and uh, had this to say. Pat, uh, fantastic victory again for Connacht, obviously, but it's, it's very much on the statistics side of things that things are looking very good. 24 points, one point behind Colette Lee. You've got to be happy with that. Yeah, we, you know, we are. I mean, it's um, we, we always have tough games, you know, tough physical games against Edinburgh. And, um, you know, uh, tonight was really about our defence because, you know, we put them under a bit of pressure. It's got a good try off the training park. and um, But um, every time we... We put more pressure on and uh, we turned the ball over, and um, which meant we had to switch straight into D. But you know, when um, you know, it was, it was good to have a clean sheet tonight, and I think our defence pretty much got us through tonight. It's clear enough from an early stage, even after that try, that this was going to be probably close enough to a one-score game right to the end. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, um, you know, we knew Edinburgh would be hurting from last week, and. Um, uh, you know, this time of the year, the games get pretty close, and we've been putting a lot of work into this sort of rugby and this sort of weather. Um, I think we, um, we we got a little bit loose at times, um, but you know, in saying that, uh, you know, I encourage the boys to, if they see it, to have a go, and uh, we you know, one pass sometimes away from you know get, getting over. So, but ultimately, the um, you know we, we're pretty satisfied to get the win against uh, a tough Edinburgh side. That's two games in a row now where Connick finished it fairly strongly. I suppose if you take the last 15 minutes there, most of it was in the Edinburgh half, which is a good sign, and, and certainly against the Ospreys it was the same thing. So is that a sign that this team is maturing and maybe kind of learning as they go? Like? Yeah, well, definitely. You know, I think, uh, the, again, we're all, was, you know, we're off the third year long. Uh, and, um, you know, and again, particularly the, the young outhouse, they, you know, they... Um, they I, I see the training, I see the work they do, but I see more of the work they do together. Um, I see the work they do as uh, as, uh, as an alignment group, our main leaders, and and they discuss the game. They they when we talk about the process of winning and and um, and situations. So um, a lot of times last year, I learned is these these are the guys who discuss that and they work it through a training, and and then you know they just make it happen when it's out there. And um, you know, as, as a coach, it's great to see. If Connick beat Treviso next week, you could nearly call it a perfect start, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean, we still the the, the Glasgow game still irks us. We try to let that go, but it's. Uh, you know, because it's water. But you know, we again, um, uh, it would have been a perfect start if we had that one. But uh, you know, I think the main thing we're our, our home ground, which is pretty uh, precious to us. We don't want to lose that. Um, the our record there, and um, you know, we uh, you know next week in Stravisa, we we would you know we can't take that one lightly at all. We got a short turnaround, and so we'll just um, it'll be a light week and. Um, there's a few injured, a few niggles, so we'll, um, you know, there's, there's no doubt there'll be a few little changes next week too. Atlanta, they're talking about Treviso next game. Andrew, one more week, 
probably uh, a must win again there's, there's, there's all this stuff cliche when we start calling them must wins because you can't lose to Treviso at home even after this great start you can't well, uh, people seem to be losing to Zebra at the moment, so anything's possible, isn't it? Yeah, and maybe it's so negative. That's why Dave sh- shot me down last week, because I was going from the negative angle. Why should I even be talking about losing uh, to Dries at home? This team are very, very composed in key positions at key times when we're in tight games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a grit and determination. We would have lost that game last We would have cons- worked away to concede the try in the last minute last year. Now, you were worried, but you were there thinking, they didn't seem to, they didn't seem to be... They were running at the speed. They're, you always had a feeling. We, actually, we may just be, we may get away with this. We may go, and then you think, yes, actually, we are going to get away with this. I just have a feeling. It's it's a quiet, grim determination and a quiet confidence that's coming through. They realise that this could be the start of something, something big, if they keep it going. If they believe in themselves, and more importantly, if they just realise that they are actually playing fifteen guys, who are just fifteen guys, and don't get worried about shirts or anything like that. And that's going to be the big issue. I don't think they're worried about Treviso. I don't think they're worried about NSA. I don't think they're worried about Brief. I do think, though, that they will know how good this kind of team is when they go to Thomond, and they realise it is 15 guys and not 15 monster players. There is a a man dressed as a fairy running around a dog track here. Here he goes. That's excellent. <laughs> of course, he's a Leinster fan. Who could have ever guessed he was from Leinster? Who could have guessed that? Well, hopefully, Leinster will do us a favour tomorrow. Oh, what, what, what could you say? A fairy from Leinster running around the track. <laughs> and there you have it. Hey. Hey, just to bring some semblance of analysis into this podcast, something, something Pat Lamb said in the press conference afterwards about skills, uh, and might have been in the interview that we did, but in, in the pool's questions, just about the skill set of Connacht. Didn't mention Andre Bell. You were mentioning Andre Bell to me this week. You were saying it's just something you feel is just possibly not getting a lot of mentions, how Connacht's skills have improved. Absolutely. If you look at where we were two, three years ago, the, the skill set we have now compared to where we were before, Yes, there was a few knock-ons and whatever tonight, but mainly because we were overextending what we were trying to do. The, our basic skill set has improved enormously. Uh, Leinster Ferry update. He's in, in the final straight now and he's going to get a little cheer. Sorry, Alan. That was a ridiculous time to interrupt. Well, it was a really important point, and I will get back to the skills in two seconds, but we're going to hear a little bit of cheer here. This is not good, po- this is not we, good we, radio. We, we believe that's Danica Ryan is oh, over Danica there. Danica Ryan's in this group, yeah, yes, dressed uh, as a leprechaun in what might be the worst yeah. casting in the history of leprechaun casting. <laughs> Monster leprechaun. <laughs> not half as bad as the gut site we've just seen he thinks he's Tinkerbell uh. <laughs> yeah he's, he's come back and he's got rather rather um, lucid cheer really because he really didn't impress anyone uh, Andrew do you want to take up Alan's point there and maybe Alan can go back in on it still well, said to the team I was build on that a little bit nines what do we think about the nines that we saw today Hidalgo Klein Ian Porter obviously Kieran Marmion from the start uh, yeah I thought Marmion was excellent. Uh, he was really playing well and, and giving them a platform to the back line, a platform to build on there. So I think it, that was definite, a definite positive there. The other two? Yeah, I think that the problem with poor Hidalgo Klein is that's the first bit of rugby he's had in about two months because he got very little time with, with the Scottish team. So like he's been hanging around the Scottish camp with World Cup rugby but not actually getting any game time. And you could see he was quite frustrated with some of the stuff he was doing it wasn't just coming off the way he wanted it compared to how he played here last year when he was brilliant I like it I thought he was their best player by, by some distance um, I think I think in terms of you know I think Alan's right in terms of, that's, that's how I can judge it I don't think I see him maybe twice three times a year in terms of our scrum halves I think weirdly I always said that the player coming, coming on at scrum half seems to outperform 
the player who's coming off, irrespective of who starts. I don't think that happened tonight, but I don't want that to mean that I thought Ian Porter was bad. I thought Ian Porter did his job yeah, fine. He, he, he did very, very, very well. Breakdown, yeah. He's very well. I think, actually, I think when they're all playing well, there's a clear pecking order. It's Kieran, John and Ian. But that doesn't mean to say that when you ask Ian to do a job, he won't do a job. And certainly in the case with John Cooney, he'll definitely do a job. Um, I think if we actually took a step back, we're actually quite blessed at nine. Because nobody, you, know, you, know, you don't automatically, when you see who's at nine, if it isn't Kieran, you're going, oh God. If it isn't John, you're going, oh God. We're not doing that. And I think there are some teams possibly further south, who when they don't see their first choice scrum, scrum off, they start going, oh God. Yeah, <laughs> Donica Ryan might join our podcast in a second to, uh, to answer that. But, uh, Donica Ryan comes around. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> if he comes around the track, we're actually just interviewing him. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, Robbie Henshaw has to fit into that background next week. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> now you know like the start of, the, start of your, <laughs> your exams <laughs> and then you're there. I, I don't have an opinion on that. Oh. It'll be great. <laughs> out of my class. Out of my class. They win a World Cup and suddenly everything else in rugby doesn't matter. We'll come back to you. Yeah, they win a World Cup not in New Zealand is what you meant to say there. Um, oh, yeah, good point. Well, whatever. Yeah, look, you know, you, you've got a situation where, where Treviso are coming next week having... You know, they haven't played their game this weekend. They're they're yeah. playing Lenford tomorrow. Days. They've got a five day turnaround. That's, to that's it. We have a short turnaround. I kind of was looking at them going, yeah, there's a 24 hours longer than Treviso's, but it is. And then they've got the Heineken or whatever it's called yeah, the following week. So you, you you'd assume that they're not going to travel at full full pelt for this game. And in fairness, they qualified for the Heineken Cup last year or the European Cup as we should call it. So you know they did finish ahead of. Wait, no, they didn't finish ahead of us, obviously, because it's ridiculous. <laughs> Let's not go into that. Uh, but where's Robbie Henshaw going? I suspect he'll go wherever, he, wherever, he, wherever he's told to go. But where are you putting them? If, if William's co- coach of Connacht? Uh, no, th- that decision is made by Joe Schmidt, I would assume. Do you, think he, do you think he's 12, 13? Uh, personally, I would probably leave Bundy at 13. I'd play Henshaw at 12. But I'm not... I'm, I'm, because I think Bundy seems to get into the game more from 13. He seems Bundy. happier there. Um, and tonight... A couple of times, he really did look for the ball. He also did a very old-fashioned manoeuvre, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was illegal now, where he sort of get up and did a dummy sort of a move and then just kept going again after a tackle. And I really thought that was long gone out of rugby. It was like a throwback. That's what I do. But um, will, he play, will he seriously? Will he, play? He, won't play, yeah. he won't play next week. He won't play no, against No, uh, Pat Lamb said, yeah, he'll be, he'll be ready to go all going well, pretty much. He's in contention. Is that what he said? Am I misquoting yeah, him? Yes, he said he was in contention for next week. I think you'd rather, if you're talking about, if you want Robbie back for, say, the Monster game, you need to get at least one, if not two, games into him. Okay. You are not taking Robbie, and you are not being let take Robbie Hensch out of Russia. Not a chance is he going <laughs> to Russia. <laughs> I think there's a lot of players that are nice going uh, irrespective, irrespective of how much they he want can take to go. Netflix and on his iPad, if he sounds. Uh, irrespective of how much he wants to, how much he wants to improve his Russian, learn about, learn about collective farming. He's not getting on the plane. Let's let's be realistic. About it. So he's got to play at some point before Munster. Now, you're already talking about Breve here, which it depends. on You could do that, or you might get, try and get two games into him. I think it's simply because he wants him to have game time in the system, in our system, before Munster. So it's either Breve here or Treviso here. So why not? Why not Treviso? Or why not both of them? Why not both of them then at that stage? Does that mean yeah. Carty or Ronaldson is starting at 10? I'd bring Ronaldson into town and give Jack a break. He's played an awful lot of rugby so far this year, and we've got an awful lot of games coming up. How good is Tiernan O'Halloran in your eyes, Andrew? 
much improved, I, yeah. would, have, I would have said. Like, and he genuinely had a... Well, firstly, he was executing things today, and secondly, like, he was absolutely committed to doing what he was doing. And I think uh, to the point of breaking himself at the end, he managed to get himself subbed off by injuring himself uh, as much as anything else. So I, I thought he was impressive, genuinely impressive. Today. How good is Napier Fox Matamua? Uh, he might be the unsung hero of the first mm. part of this season. Uh, he had a particularly good 60 minutes. He then drifted a little bit out of it, but that's what young players do. But I thought he he's good on the ground, he's quick, and he, whatever he does, he does it with real conviction. He never goes half at it. And uh, he also, so far, looks to be fit and he doesn't ever seem to get knocked up or banged up on the field. The trainer never has to come on to deal with him, which is ideal. Like a, like a good seven, he uh, doesn't attract the attentions of the referee either. No. And yeah. good seven from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as I said last season, we have an amazing record when we have a real seven on the field. We tend to win a lot more games than we lose when we have a seven. Our percentage winning percentage total is much higher when we have a seven on the field. And again, it's been proven. Whatever, whatever it is we have when we need a seven there, a true seven, like we have with Fox or Jake or when we had Willie Falloon, we always play an awful lot better rugby. Yeah, I think that's a key point because you brought it up last year and it seems to be true again. Also, with Bundiaki at 13, we're now gone up to, what are we, are we at 6-1-1 one one now, which is a pretty good record. Six wins, one draw, one defeat when he's in that 13 role. So that speaks volumes. Uh, Heenan's due back in December. That came from the press conference as well, Dave. Anyone else stand out? We've gone on to the lads as well on that. Anyone else stand out before we get to the end of the business? Any other um, performers tonight? Did Andrew Brown get man in the match again? No, no. He was excellent, though, anyways. <laughs> um... I don't think he can. I, I thought I give Mull a bit of a credit because I mean he yeah, was doing. He was doing. Yeah. And more importantly, he was lead. It was more silent leadership. He wasn't necessarily in Hodge's face um, when he should have been. When he should have been. He's kind of, kind well, of given up and being in. Yeah, the there's face. no point. Well, that was partly because at one stage Hodges ran 25, 30 meters to come over to, to to John and told him to be quiet and stop and keep the voice down or something along that lines. Well, but he basically told penalty. Him. It was very, very odd. Yeah, I, I don't know what that was. I don't know whether he was. I think he might have been having a long range discussion with one of the Edinburgh team about something because it happened just after one of the no the cl- no he definitely he definitely came over and spoke with John no, directly that's what I'm saying but I think John Muldoon was actually having a long range conversation oh, with an Edinburgh player I love it yeah. this is why for those of you who aren't like number one rugby in your life you must really enjoy phrases that we talk about like long range conversations <laughs> <laughs> in other words he was telling him to go beep anyways uh, Andrew anyone else standing out that we're not talking about Leighton Hodges do we have an opinion do we have an opinion well we love you Leighton <laughs> we do he- well, I thought there was an interesting argument. Hang, hang on, he's just talking to the car parking attendant down there. No, no, let's leave, leave it, leave it, move on, move on. His, his car has actually disappeared to a very large bonfire. <laughs> that did not happen. Let's go on, yeah. Well, I know William had an opinion on one aspect of Leighton Hodges refereeing the scrums is it, is it like well I, I, I made the point about the scrums that he just lets the scrums go on too long referees have to referee the damn thing make a decision get it moving his other problem is he gets in the way all the time He's, he nearly gets involved in the play and then he has to do this sort of massive back step running he nearly got taken out at the end there I'm sure probably players on both sides might have wanted to but he just gets too close to the action and it gets just gets in the way it, it's almost in every game that he does. He wasn't helped today by the fact that the two linesmen seem to be just 
putting up their flags from what we could see or hear. Well, we can't hear. Or not putting up their flags. I'll actually, I'll actually slightly disagree with you. I think the, the touch judge on the clan side in the first half was prepared to put his flag up. The rather large gentleman, I mean, he was massive. He was massive. easily yeah. six foot six. Wow. And somehow managed not to see another six foot six guy jumping up in the air and compl- not only completely missing the ball, jumping into a Connacht player before the ball is anywhere near it coming down. He just This guy in the second half did not make a decision, which is seems to be the standard operating procedure. I thought the guy in the first half was prepared to make decisions. We didn't have to agree with them, but at least he was getting involved and saying, this has happened, this has happened. He put his flag out. You just want more touch judges to have, because if they do do it, and as we see, when we, especially again when you don't have somebody in your ear going, oh, could you look at that foul play, because we didn't have a TMO tonight, and that's another argument for another day. You well, need them to exactly make exactly the argument I did want to get onto <laughs> today is wouldn't we have liked a TMO? We started off the whole yeah. Rugby World Cup wanting TMOs to go away, but actually we saw tonight, even at this level, we saw a great case for yeah. the advantage of having a TMO. Because I don't think it was Hodge's fault in either no, of the no, two no, no, cases, no, 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 no. because he wasn't uh, in a position to see the, the infraction. Can we start the podcast with, I don't think it was Hodge's fault, just so people know we're <laughs> fair to but, but here's, here's the thing, I mean, it, you would never have a situation where there were different rules apply to different games. We have a game, like the Munster also game didn't need a TMO, but had one. I mean, there was nothing really that controversial in that game last night. Other games on TV will have a TMO, but that means that other... I mean, either every team has it or no team has it. And you don't have a situation where you have in the Premier I know there's no uh, goal line technology in, from the Premier League down, but every team in the Premier League has it because that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And every game has and it opportunity to utilise it. talk about law of averages and you'll get yeah. the, even the calls. That's not the law of averages because sometimes yeah. you, you, you won't have it. It's impossible. I mean, it's impossible. Some of the things, I mean, we've seen it up in loads of games. We don't, three pairs of eyes don't see things that cameras can see. So it makes sense to either have them in every game or, or if you're not going to do that, then have them in no game. At least everybody's on the same playing field. Last, uh, any other business? To start with, I, before we start any other business, we have two items of business. And uh, First of all, AJ McGinty signed for Connacht. We've got to mention it last week. We, like, you know, just to be careful, we don't get too carried away. I think it was, you know, we don't know how much he signed for. We don't know what the deal is. But the one thing is, he looked relatively good for USA. Funny thing is, Dave's already mentioned him in the podcast. So while I don't think anyone else has anything to say on AJ McGinty just yet, other than fine, let's see how it goes. Yeah. Dave, you did mention him in the podcast and you were kind of saying the point of view of you had heard that he can't come back to Ireland, but he can now, which is well, good. Well, it's weird. It's, it, it was before he came to Connacht, so I'm not quite sure where he fits in into, our, into, um, into our, our fitting in terms of non-European players. He's not technically eligible to play for Ireland because he's played for the United States, despite the fact that he and John Quill, who was ex-Monster Ray, both were in the American squad, but both played all their underage rugby in Ireland. Um, they're both Irish citizens. They both have Irish passports, but they are not seen by the RFU as Irish qualified. So therefore, is he taking a non-Irish place? That's my. That's my. That was my question about that, which I said to you a few weeks ago. What made it even more interesting was we went through the Edinburgh squad tonight. They had two non-European registered guys and about six guys who were born in Scotland in their squad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And well, well, the thing about it is he's only signed for one this season, so he's not taking up anything for next season. Okay. So if he is non-Irish qualified, which I believe he is because he plays for America, but he's not taking up anything we didn't already have. Yeah, so we had a spot open and he's taken it. And, and Mills Malina has moved on and we never replaced him from that point of view. Uh, so that's openings there, even if we didn't have the money. Uh, second point of business, Andrew, just talk to us for a few seconds about New Zealand winning the World Cup. <laughs> that, what's it like Andrew? what's it like what's it like setting you um, what's it like to be the best team in the world and to know again. it all the time well I was reading I was reading something today it was a it was a New Zealand fan talking about what it's like to be a New Zealander watching rugby and what he was saying which I thought was quite true is uh, New Zealanders don't believe that if their team plays well they lose that they're going to lose and so this was sort of to most New Zealanders an inevitability as long as we didn't screw something up 
uh, which is probably unfair on most oppositions uh, who can play well and uh, and may play better than us even when we're playing well. So. Mm. Yeah, just think back to the Aviva Stadium a couple of years ago as an example of that. Any other business? Anyone? I have nothing. I just still can't believe that we played a game an hour, what, an hour and a half after the World Cup final has been played on on uh, Halloween evening, which meant an awful lot of people weren't here. I know that you know. I always judge the 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 interest in this in Connacht matches by you know, my work and how many people are interested in work. And I didn't have to have a draw this week because I didn't have enough people who were interested in going. And this even what, yeah, even even one of the guys who did win a ticket couldn't go because his daughter was you know going to be going out trick or treating. And it just seemed I, I just don't understand any of the logic to the why this game was played tonight in any way, shape, or form. I'd love someone from Connacht to tell us why they thought this was a good idea. Okay, Brent, well done. Dave? Small thing, nothing to do with this game. It was to do with the first game I saw, which was out in Galwegians. It's a tiny little thing that bugs me, and it has bugged me at under-20s games and schools games. It doesn't happen at senior level because it's not allowed to happen at senior level. This was Galwegians UCD today. UCD. First of all, UCD are a fan, have a fantastic backline, and there's two players I want to highlight. Adam Burners with Leinster is going to be something special. And some positive Galwegians, if they give Cormac Brennan ball in the centre, we go forward, he can do spectacular stuff, but he needs to have the ball going forward. A lot of the time he was getting it, he was standing still and had to create his own momentum. But what UCD sort of did, which really nerked me, and uh, Andrew son James was, I mean, he was exactly the same boat. UCD didn't put, gave us a squad list, but didn't give us numbers. Now, we knew Byrne and we knew Timmons, who were both Leinster guys. That was it. We were guessing. What made it even worse was we asked the physio. The physio didn't know the players. He was just a physio brought down to take care of them. Would it be too much to hope for that if you're going to give a team seat out, you actually put it with the numbers of the players so that we can know, so we don't have to ask somebody who doesn't actually know the players who everybody is? It's ridiculous. OK, that's good. I'm, just, I'm, I'm presenting these with no comment this week unless William is going to fire me up there. William, anything to add? No, afraid not. Andrew, any rants outside of that? I'd like to know a little bit more about the uh, Russian adventure. So, so the update on the Russian adventure is I'm not going because... Will we just go into this for a second? DRC are planning the trip. Really unusual. Connacht are going, well, you know, on the, on the, on the back of what the DRC say. It's an unusual trip. We don't know who's financing this entire trip. That's the best way I can say it without getting us in trouble. It's very... But let's just say it's going to cost... Lots and lots of money to charge your flight to get over there. Money that I'm not so sure and a rugby organisation running European Championships or certainly, well, I know for certain Connick don't have. So uh, let's leave it at that. But the main point is, couldn't get the uh, flights arranged or anything arranged until yesterday, I think it was. Far too late for me, who I'm employed in other work, in other words. I'm running a shop. Couldn't get off the time off work. Luckily, William's going, but you had to go privately with him. Yeah, it's... it's it's irritating beyond belief, actually, at this stage. I, um, I, the real problem is the charter flight was a flight to start with. There was no mention of accommodation, no mention of a package. Uh, the quoted cost was €1,000, so I balked at that, as did a lot of other people. Including me. Couldn't afford that even on our sponsorship. So what we did then was we went and found interesting ways to get there. I'm going via Brussels and Moscow. Some people are going via London, Moscow. Everybody has to go to Moscow. Um, it's so, would it be quicker to go through LA or anything? Probably not. No. It's a long way. It's a long, it's a long way. It's nearly going to Mongolia. We're nearly closer so to Bay. How many flying hours is it? Uh, the, the flight hours, if you look at it out of Dublin, you're actually in the air about uh, 10 hours. Wow. Well. 
Um, the, the sort of Tokyo time. The, yeah. Equivalent to Tokyo then. But the, the real killer for fa- the fans is when Connacht are actually coming back on the Saturday night, they will land here the same day they played the match at midnight. I'll be at that stage taxiing down a run, runway in Krasnorsk and I'll be getting back to Galway 21 hours after that, having had three hours in Moscow and five hours and 45 minutes in Brussels airport. And here's the good news, folks. He's bringing his recorder. It's going to be podcast gold. That's it. We'll talk more about that next week. We've got the Treviso match. But yeah, needless to say, William will be doing updates for Galway Bay FM and we'll do the best we can to cover it. But we couldn't do live coverage, I'm afraid. Next week, I'm going to see Nicole Kidman instead of Treviso. And West Ham. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't end the podcast, right? What? What the heck? We've gone into extra time. That is one hell of a sign. Yeah, it's serious. Yeah, yeah. Any reason? What's she in? Um, she... if he's lucky. And on that bombshell. We'll be back next week, folks. We just leave it there, will we? No one will ever know. (laughs) I'll tell no tales. (laughs) (laughs) Or so's on tour, stays on tour. Absolutely. Absolutely.